first online Good Friday service here uh, at the church. Hope you're tuning in and uh, have your Bibles on your lap, ready to go as we celebrate what uh, Jesus has done on the cross for us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John chapter 19. And we're going to read the account from verse 1 to verse 30. John 19, verse 1 through 30. We read, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted the crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I bring, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one place, they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing what all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, 
said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it into his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The title of my message this afternoon is All Clear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together online, Lord, linked up together as a church, that we might see what your Son had accomplished for us on that day we call Good Friday. Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray if there's anyone tuning in that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this afternoon, we pray, Lord, that you would especially touch their heart today. We thank you for this time. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when a a police officer goes into a crime scene, you know, they'll go in and they'll go room by room and they're looking and they're, they're checking it out until their search is all done and then they'll shout, all clear. As we gather online, gather in our homes, our social distancing, doing everything we can to stay safe. We are waiting, longing for that day when we will hear all clear. We can go about our normal daily business. All clear. Great words. We as a a nation should continue to be praying for uh, those words, to hear those words all clear. But in a sense, those same words were spoken some 2,000 years ago by a young man hanging on a wooden cross outside of Jerusalem. Jesus said in verse 30 that we just read, It is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The greatest words ever spoken, the greatest words ever heard, it is finished. To us, all clear. Now the question needs to be asked, what is finished? What is going on? Now there are those that say that when Jesus cried out these words, it is finished. It was a cry of desperation. He was despairing over his mortality. Dying on a wooden tree, crucified by the Romans. He was despairing over his mortality. His life was ending. He was dying a very excruciating and painful death. He had been beaten whipped by what is known as a cat of nine tails, which is a leather, leather whip with, with bits of lead tied to it and, and glass uh, tied to it, shards tied to it, so that when he would be beat by that whip, it would actually tear open the skin on his back, tear down into the muscle of his back, exposing all of his organs. Then a crown of thorns is placed upon his head. They say that these thorns were about an inch and a half long, shoved down into his scalp. Then he's pressed up against this rough wooden cross, nailed to his hands, nailed to his feet. Crucifixion was actually invented by the Persians or Romans, perfected it and and utilized it throughout their empire to, to terrorize and suppress the people. And here Jesus is hanging on the cross for us and he says, it is finished. And some would say that he's in a, a state of despair over his mortality. At last the pain is stopping. At last uh, the hour of his death is at hand. No, I don't believe this was a cry of desperation. We know that there's a Roman centurion there at the cross according to Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four who no doubt had seen hundreds of deaths just like this. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Truly, this was a son of God. 
So he saw that Jesus was not dying in despair. Not in the way the centurion observed it. Now others say, well, it, it wasn't a cry of desperation over his mortality. It was a cry of depression over his ministry. He had looked around and saw all the thousands of, uh, of, of people that had previously followed him. And, and now they're nowhere to be found. Even his twelve scattered like birds. And so the view is that he's depressed and, and over the seemingly collapse of his ministry, all had forsaken him, except evidently the Apostle John, who came back at a later time and stood at the foot of the cross, but others have left him. And, and so many would say, well, that's why he said it is finished. It, it depressed him. The movement is over. The ministry is done. It's collapsed. But I say, no way was he depressed. It was not out of depression that he said it is finished. Because none of this took him by surprise. He had told his disciples that, that all would leave him, that even there would be what, those that would deny him. Jesus said this in John sixteen thirty two: Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Jesus was not depressed it wasn't a cry of desperation. Neither, as some suggest, number three, was it a cry of being defeated. Some say because Jesus' message was not embraced, he was defeated. Jesus, the one who taught to love one another, to forgive one another, now is looking down from the cross. Uh, they're spitting at him and showing contempt and hatred for him and, and vengeance and bitterness towards him. So some suggests that Jesus on the cross looked at the people who were behaving that way and his message of love was not received and so he felt defeated. Because his message wasn't embraced, he was defeated. But as with the other ones, this too was not a message of defeat. No, these words, it is finished, were words of a declaration. All clear. All clear, Jesus was powerfully proclaiming that his mission was finished. His mission to come and die for the sins of humanity. Jesus came to die. In fact, he was born to die. Go back to Jesus' birth. There in the manger scene, Jesus there in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. Those same cloths they used in, in the burial practices at that time. Identical in nature to burial cloths. Jesus would be buried in, pointed prophetically to what was going to happen, that Jesus came to die. So it wasn't a cry of defeat or depression or a cry of despair, but a cry of declaration, the work has been accomplished. Jesus would die for our sins, the sins of the whole world, and here he was proclaiming it powerfully, it is finished, Jesus died for our sin, we are all clear. Now, people say, well, why did Jesus have to die for my sin? I, I can take care of my own problems. I can take care of myself. I don't need someone to, to step into my place. Well, folks, if you're listening to this and you think that, then you don't understand any aspect of God's holiness. See, God hates sin and is deadly serious about dealing with it. God had said from the very beginning that the soul that sins shall surely die. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write, the wages of sin is death. 
God hates, God despises, and cannot stand even to look at sin. Now, why is that? Well, because he sees sin as something that ruins us. It ruins us physically. It affects us mentally. It destroys our family. It destroys our lives. Sin brings so much sorrow and sadness and, 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 uh, and because of that, and suffering and sickness, and because of that, God hates it. God hates what sin does to a person's life. And I would say this, the virus that's going on in our world today is a result of sin. Man's fallen. And so, as a fallen being, we're all going to die. There's these things that affect a fallen man. But sadly, there are those who have a misunderstanding of God's hatred for sin. And they view God as one who's just waiting for me to mess up so he could do me in. They have this impression of God that he's this, this big prison guard in the sky that, that's just waiting for me to blow it so he can strike me down with his club. I, I dare you, come on, just, just sin once. Listen, that is so misguided. That is so not our God. I read a story of a little boy who said to his dad, Daddy, I need a new mommy. He said, well, why do you need a new mommy? Because mommy spanks me. Well, why does mommy spank you? Well, because I'm naughty. <laughs> Many of us live in that same mentality. We know we've blown it, whether it's a matter of integrity, a matter of, of morals, whatever it might be. We know that somehow we've lost it. And we have this feeling that Jesus is just ready to rail on us to let us have it. Listen, Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to spank us. He came into this world to, so that he would be spanked for us. God hates sin. And the soul that sins shall surely die. He is deadly serious about it. He declares in his holiness. But there's another aspect about God that we need to understand. Not just holiness, but loving kindness. God is also a God of incredible love. He cares about you deeply. He loves you intimately. And God wants you to be saved from the wages and the price and, and, and uh, of sin, both now in the present and on into eternity. So how does the, the, the holiness of God and the love of God come together at the cross? All comes down to the cross. This is essential about understanding what Good Friday is all about. There's a reason we call Good Friday good. Because it's an opportunity for us to focus on God's great love for us as He sent His only Son, Jesus, to suffer and die His cruel death in our place. That's why upon the cross He declares, it is finished. Three words that are actually one Greek word, tetelestai, meaning paid in full. There's actually been receipts found during that time with the word tetelestai written on them as a, as a, as a receipt that means paid in full. Your, your debt's been paid. Your sin has been dealt with. Again, all clear. The people will say, still say, well, how do I know it worked? I mean, how do I know that the price was paid in full for my sin? Listen, Jesus in answering the skeptics of his day, the Pharisees, that said to him, show us a sign to really prove you are who you say you are. Show us a sign to verify what you're claiming, what you're, you're teaching, what you're doing. 
And Jesus said, one sign and one sign only shall I give to you. I'll show you. Matthew twelve forty. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then the Lord said this in Luke 24, 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. I like that it's Luke 24, 7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Jesus came with one purpose in mind, and that was to redeem mankind. He came to do what no one else could ever do, be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Jesus says, that's my verification. That's what I have done that no one else has done. Listen, what Gandhi or, or Buddha or Confucius or Mahabharata, not any guru... Any master of philosophy has done or can do. Jesus says, I will give you one sign or arise again from the dead to verify that my claims are true, that it's been accomplished, that you can trust me. You know, this brings us to really the, the second greatest statement, a three-word sentence that you know very well that we will talk about in a couple of days. When the disciples came to the tomb, they found an angel who said, He is not here. He is risen. It worked. He is risen. The price satisfied the holiness of God. Jesus rose again to verify all of this. Now he ascended into heaven. And as he said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven so that where I am, you may be also. So that when we leave this life, we don't die. We live. We're simply transferred to a better address. 777 Heaven Highway. Grace Court. Golden Street, being an ex-mailman, I got a ton of them. Angel Avenue, perfect peace place. I mean, they're out there. We move. We leave this life as a Christian. We don't die. We simply put in a change of address. I think about the story in John's Gospel of two sisters and their brother Lazarus, who they were really close friends with Jesus. They spent a lot of time together with Jesus. And, and Lazarus had become sick. And uh, word was sent to Jesus to come. The, his friend Lazarus is sick. But by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus has already died. He's already gone. And many of you know the story. So Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha come running out to meet him and says, Lord, if you only would have been here, our brother would not have died. Then Jesus said these famous words in John eleven twenty five and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. None of that would be possible except for the cross of Jesus Christ. Interesting in that week before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins and the sins of the whole world. He told his disciples that he was going. And it grieved them. It, it hurt their hearts terribly. They were troubled because they felt as though they were never going to see their Lord again. They felt as though they were never going to see their friend again. See, Jesus had been there for them. When they needed Him, Jesus was there. He miraculously provided abundantly feeding 5,000 people from a, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. When they were out in the sea together and the storm arose, Jesus calmed the sea, which were just two words, be still. But now things were going to be different. Jesus told them he was going to be leaving. He told them this was going to happen and their hearts were troubled. So Jesus spoke these words of great comfort to them. 
and to us, found in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And I think this is interesting that one of the disciples, coincidentally named Thomas, just didn't understand. And so he basically says, Lord, in verse 5, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Then Jesus says these great words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The point that Jesus was making is, it's impossible for us to take care of our sin problem. So he took care of it for us at the cross. He would bear all of our sin so we would not have to. Look at it this way. You have a credit card that you run up and it's impossible for you to pay off. It is way, way too high. And someone comes in and pays it off in full for you. Now, you're going to want to keep charging on that same credit card uh, after your debt has been paid in full. No way. In fact, you don't ever want to charge on that card again. You don't want to put one more sin to your account to which Jesus Christ had to, to, to die for. Because you love Him so much and are so thankful for what He's done that, that from now on you're not going to want to do anything that would displease you. Not to want to do anything to the one that has done so much for you. Not that we become sinless, but we certainly want to sin less. And know this according to 1 John 2, 1 and 2. When we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. How is that possible? Jesus Christ paid it all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever. Whoever believes in him. That word believe means to rely on, cling to, trust in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. That's God's grace. When Jesus Christ proclaimed, it is finished, our sin problem has been taken care of once and for all by him. That's why he declared, paid in full to tell us die, it is finished. Yes, it was a good Friday. Good Friday because, yes, finished and completed were the horrendous sufferings of Christ. Good Friday because Jesus would never again experience pain at the hand of wicked men. Good Friday because Jesus would never have to bear the sins of the world again. Good Friday never again because he would, even for a moment, never be forsaken of God. That was complete. That was taken care of as well as finished was Satan's stronghold on humanity. Jesus came and dealt a decisive blow against the devil and his demons at the cross of Calvary. Hebrews 2.14 says, Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. This means he has no more power. It means you no longer uh, have to live under the power of sin. What Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross finished was a stronghold that Satan had on humanity. And lastly finished was our salvation. It's complete. It's done. All of our sin has been forgiven and forgotten. We're told in Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. All clear. We are safe. Our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Our sin has been put from us. All of our sin, 
transferred onto Jesus on that cross as he hung there and all of his righteousness transferred to us on our account. Paid in full. It is finished. It was God's deliberate and well sought out plan. Now the only thing, only other sentence that needs to be said if you have not done so already is Jesus, please forgive me. Make it personal. We're told in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. You see, you need to make it personal. To repent of your sin and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again from the dead. And now live inside of me. I give my life to you freely. If that's your desire, as the worship team comes on up, I want to give you that opportunity before we enter into a time of communion to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together this afternoon, come and look at the cross, look what your Son did for us upon the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for us upon that cross taking upon yourself all of our sin, all of our shame. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone listening, Lord, that that does not know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, that they would make a commitment to you now, even right now as you're listening. While your eyes are closed, your head's bowed in, in in a place of prayer, And you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to be born again. They're sitting in your living room, sitting in your office, sitting in a a kitchen with a a computer in front of you. Doesn't matter where you are. it's, It's where your heart is at. You want your sin forgiven. You want to be born again today. You want to know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven. All you need to do is just simply pray this prayer. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of it. Thank you, Jesus for coming into this world to die for me. Thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus. I commit my life to you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I'm now going to heaven, that I am now a child of God. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, All things have become new. So if you prayed that prayer, God is is giving you new life. All of your sin is is done away with. Your new creation in Christ. We'd love to help you get moving in your walk with Christ and let you know what that means. We have some discipleship material we'd love to send you. We'd love to to, uh, get to you. If you would just email us at ccspringfield at aol.com. Yeah, we still have AOL. Uh, and let us know that, 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 that you've given your life to Jesus Christ and would love to make contact with you. Now, if you've done that, if you're already a believer, then, then all that's left for us this afternoon is to rejoice. To rejoice of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All clear. All clear. All of our sin has been dealt with. And as the worship team leads us in, in one more song, it's a good time for you to, to make sure you got some bread there with you wherever you're sitting. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a tortilla. <laughs> maybe it's a, a piece of Weber's bread. Whatever you got in the home that symbolizes bread. 
some juice. If you have grape juice, that, that would be awesome. Again, uh, preferably, but whatever juice you have, because it's not about the elements, it's about the Lord that's represented in those elements. And so, make sure that they're ready, and, 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 uh, and uh, we're going to have the, the worship team uh, do one more song for us, and, and make sure that the few people in here have, have uh, their communion, and then we'll, we'll close with communion. So, go ahead.